0: We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness. That the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth.
1: Yeah well it kind of started out with the manual. Well it doesn't say this in the revelation. Well No, it doesn't. Well, it says it in the preface that this guy, Jesse Gauz, was originally called to be a counselor to the prophet, but he didn't live up to his expectations or the righteousness or he, whatever. And they called Frederick Williams instead. And the manual kind of highlights that one, that the Lord, this is an example to teach us how the Lord. Will bless us, e- even though we may not be the ones that were called initially, or how this example, of the scriptures, how we should apply them to ourselves, and we still gain the same blessings, even though they were revelations given for our specific people.
0: Right. Okay. Which, which is kind of an interesting way to look at it. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting that this guy was called. He didn't really fulfill the calling as is expected, and so. He was essentially replaced, and then even replaced in the scripture it stu- itself. In the Joseph Smith revelations book, it said Frederick G. Williams copied the revelation into Revelation Book Two, probably sometime before the 1st of April, 1832. At a later point, sometime after the appointment of Williams as a counselor to Joseph Smith in January 1833, Oliver Cowdery replaces replaced Gauze's name with Williams's in the Revelation Book Two copy. Someone like Cowdery crossed out Gauze's name as well. So it was like, done. He's gone now. <laughs> and the, in the Doctrine and Covenants, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say his name, right? And so that's that's kind of interesting how it was like, yeah, that didn't work out. And not only did it not work out, but we're going to go through the effort of just starting over from scratch. We're not going to have him there. At the same time, I think it's important that the even in the heading that it says that it says that this guy was originally called and then replaced because it shows that the Lord can change his mind especially if you're not willing to fulfill what you've been asked I mean the guy ended up being excommunicated from the church because he not only didn't it wasn't that he was just lazy it was that he became you know uh, not interested in participating anymore yeah
1: well to me I thought about two things one is that Is an example that we truly have agency, that there isn't like a predestination, you know, like this gentleman had the ability and the opportunity to be a great counselor. But through his decisions, he chose not to, which it's an it's almost like a negative story. But to me, I look at it positively to say, you know, we we cannot frustrate the Lord's plans. You know, the Lord's plans aren't frustrated by our bad decisions. We only hurt ourselves, you know. It's kind of like this guy, I forget his name. might have been John, by the way, who who had this saying that said, we don't break God's laws, we only break ourselves against them. Hmm. And then, to me, I thought of verse 81 as kind of like the blessing, a good example or template for the blessings of those who are counselors or are giving a calling and how important a counselor like it's a unique thing because many times a counselor will never become the president or the prophet or the bishop or the state president or the whatever right many times a counselor goes back into the pool but the promises promised to a counselor are just as great as the promises promised to joseph smith
0: you know Yep.
1: And then one thing I found interesting, towards the end of the lesson, it asks a couple questions that I thought were interesting. It says, when we look at verse 5, it says, ponder on verse 5. And it says, what are some ways people can be weak? What does it mean to succor those that are weak? What might cause a person's hands to figuratively hang down? How can we lift up those hands? What might be the... what? might the phrase feeble knees mean how can we strengthen those with feeble knees and i thought that was interesting because the lord has obviously given his counselor or his presidency or us all of us the charge to lift the hands that hang down strengthen the feeble knees and succor the weak and i i would venture to get that guess that we are all weak In certain aspects, you know, and maybe that's that's one. I don't know that the gospel is meant to be lived in a vacuum, you know. Just like we are meant to participate and bring our talents to the Lord, because someone else's talent may be exactly what's needed for your weakness or to lift you up or to succor you in some way. And your talents may be what's needed to help strengthen someone else. You know, It's not all or nothing. I think we all have various degrees of strengths and weaknesses and doubts and faiths. And that's why we have to, like a jigsaw puzzle, come together.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, my my weaknesses will hopefully be complemented by someone else's strengths. And I don't know. I think that that you see that in presidencies. If you've ever been in a presidency that has worked really well, you can see why counselors have been called. That the president maybe doesn't necessarily have a strength with um organization or with working with people or whatever, that their their strength is elsewhere. And so they call counselors that can kind of fulfill those roles in a better way. And then you also look at it, I mean, it's not necessarily a calling, but in your family also, in your marriage, you know, there's certain things that we've said this in the past, maybe you, you struggle with or that you're weak in and that your spouse is not. And it's kind of meant to be that way. Everyone that we associate with, they have their strengths and weaknesses, and hopefully we can bolster each other up. Section 82 is is a really important one, mostly because it's the Lord talking to them about forming this bond, right? <laughs> and he lists the people who are going to be part of it. Uh Edward Partridge, Neil K. Whitney, A. Sidney Gilbert, Sidney Rigdon, Joseph Smith, John Whitmer, Oliver Cowdery, W. W. Phelps, and Martin Harris. In verse 11, to be bound together by a bond and covenant that shall not be, that cannot be broken by transgression, except judgment shall immediately follow in your several stewardships. To manage the affairs of the poor and all things pertaining to bis- the bishopric, both in the land of Zion and the land of Kirtland. When I was kind of reading the topics about this, uh, I found a, an article in the, I think it was in the Revelations in Context. No it was one of the church history topics about united firm and united order this was the united firm essentially they had these different companies that were working uh, the store and the storehouse and their function was to generate funds for the growth of zion purchasing of land uh, making sure that everyone had their needs met but they were kind of operating independently and so and so had jurisdiction over that area and so and so had jurisdiction over this area and this was a way of saying, look, we need to kind of unite these in a common uh, sphere. These need to all be working together now. It's a, there's, it mentions that there's a lot of confusion between united firm and united order. United order being uh, essentially a, a revealed lifestyle uh, uh, to Brigham that later on in time he, uh, executes with the saints in, in Utah of living the law of consecration. And there's similarities between the two and that's probably the name being similar uh, the use of the word order interchangeably with the word firm sometimes causes this con- this confusion but it's not the same thing the united firm is not the same as the united order that was instituted in utah um, they weren't living the law of consecration as much as the united order did but it does point out in these scriptures that Everyone is to be equal and everyone is to have um, basically all of their needs met. And if there's anything left over, that that should go to the poor. And so I, I think it's interesting how the Lord really wants this to be clear that no one is going to benefit or that the power is not based in what they have. No one's power in the church at this time was going to be based on their wealth. That Joseph Smith was not in charge because he was the wealthiest, right? Um, (laughs) Or that no one could say, well, I bring more to the church, therefore I should have more say. It was, look, everyone put it in there, the bishop will redistribute out accordingly. Here's a weird thought.
1: As I look at this chapter, I wonder, especially because it talks a lot about order. (laughs) If the order that it's revealed has something to do with the design of it because you would think that the united order or the united what was it called formation firm Form. they were built on unity not equality you know and then i think this principle of unity is built the foundation stone i think it's got to be verse one verse two and verse three which is That inasmuch as ye forgive one another your trespasses, even so I, the Lord, will forgive you. Nevertheless, there are those among you who have sinned exceedingly, yea, even all of you have sinned. Verily I said to you, beware henceforth, and refrain from sin, lest the sore judgment should come upon your head. For of him who much is given, much is required. And he who sins against a greater light shall receive greater condemnation. And if I think about those three verses in the sense of like... If, if there was going to be almost like a code of ethics, <laughs> I think this principle of forgiving each other and then personally acting better once you know better has to be key, that you cannot continue like verse two. You've all made mistakes. You've all sinned. But beware henceforth and refrain from sin. So it's almost like once you come to a knowledge that you have made a mistake, you need to fix it you cannot continue making that mistake again you know because he's saying where much is given much is required and who those who sin against greater light receive greater condemnation meaning the weight of our actions if we continue to not to go against what we know is better we lose more light we become even more condemned and it becomes harder it's almost like a spiraling vortex (laughs) of negativity right (laughs) as opposed to like an an exaltation pathway that takes you up there's because i i like everything he says like in verse 7 where he says and now verily i say unto you that i the lord will not lay any sin to your charge go your ways and sin no more but unto the soul who sinneth shall the former sin return and i'm not looking at sin in the sense of like, I broke a commandment, like this specific one commandment. I think, in this sense, they're talking about transgressions, about forgiving each other your mistakes, your weaknesses, your ignorance, you know, because you're having to be united. And that's what ultimately the downfall of these programs is people become greedy and then they don't forgive each other and then they assume someone else and then because they're taking more i'm going to take more i'm going to take the cream off the top of this butter Mm -hmm. before i give it you know there's always like some way to rationalize you know that that we you know we're not going to be united completely but he's saying but unto the soul who sinneth shall the former sin return and i wonder about that because it can't be talking about a specific sin or all sins, because we're all going to sin forever. That's why we have the atonement. That's why we have the sacrament. But I think he's saying about when you know, when you can no longer be ignorant of a wrong, and you're unwilling to work on it and improve it, you do that over and over again, then the society can't trust you, or the Lord can't trust you. you know, this. And then all the way down to verse 18, which I think is probably one of my favorites, because it talks about talents. <laughs> and all this for the benefit of the church and the living God that every man may improve upon his talent That every man may gain other talents Yet even a hundredfold to be cast in the Lord's storehouse to become the common property of the whole church And that kind of reminds me of what President Hinckley said He he said once, you need to be good But be good for something, you know Right. And it's kind of like this sense of like You need to be part of the group, the tribe, the unity, the state, the country, whatever but contribute to it, you know? And in the gaining of other talents, I've never met someone who gains another talent perfectly. In the learning process, there is a lot of opportunity for mistakes, for errors, for bad judgment, because that's part of learning. And if we don't allow people to learn and make mistakes and forgive them their trespasses, then we're not going to create a group of individuals who are willing to give it a try. We live in a world where there are so many people that are just unwilling to try because they're not good at it. They'd be judged. Oh, everybody judges. Everybody judges. Ah. Well, no kidding. That's the world. That's how we are. But on one hand, we need to forgive each other, give each other the opportunity. On the other hand, people who need to be willing to not bury that talent and practice it and gain new talents. And so it kind of goes both ways. And I, I read this chapter and I look at it. What if this was an instruction manual on how to have a better society, a more prosperous society, a more society that had, like verse 7, that you look each other more as equals? Or in other words, you have equal claims to property for the benefit of managing the of stewardship and according to his wants and his needs, in so much as the wants are just. And But that's the thing is, if everyone claims that their wants are just but everyone viewing those claims says they're unjust then you kind of then you know you gratify your pride your vain ambition you know all that doctrine covenant stuff and then you end up judging each other creating secret combinations taking the cream off the butter you know all of these things where i think it's the perfect world we live in there's a lot of this desire to have equality, to have claims, to people have what they need to take care of each other. You know, verse 19, every man seeking the interest of his neighbor and doing all things with a nice single turn God. But all of that unity that we're all seeking and wanting has to be built on this principle of forgiveness. And that is hard.
0: I was it's going hard. to say, I think verse 19, I really like a lot because it's not so much like hey just think about what your needs are and don't ask for anything more than your needs instead it's like if you're looking out for your neighbor if instead of saying okay submit the needs of your family and we'll make sure that the bishop storehouse provides it if instead it was like hey can you tell us what your neighbor needs and someone will tell tell us what you need and it's kind of like that's not what they were doing obviously but what i'm saying is like if you were to look I think you'd be more generous with your neighbor because you're not feeling like I'm being selfish. I'm only thinking about myself. If you're thinking about the needs of others, you're, you're more likely to ask for things that are just and things that are fair. Mm. And you're more likely to have your eyes single to the glory of God because you're not thinking about, okay, what can I get away with? Or what little extra thing can I get? It's more like, how can I make sure my neighbor doesn't have want? How can I make sure my neighbor has their needs met? And I don't know, it's it's challenging because we look back on this and we say, yeah, but all it takes is one selfish person or one person that doesn't want to play by the rules to break this whole system. And that's true. That's true. Uh, And that's why he's telling them, you know, you need to make sure that you are following through with this. And then verse 23 is the one that I really like, too, because it's like if this stuff arises, if you start to say. Uh, so-and-so keeps asking for this and I don't think they really need that 23 leave judgment alone with me for it is mine and I will repay peace be with you blessing my blessings continue with you once again it's him saying you let me handle if people are cheating the system you let me handle if things are somehow not completely fair they will get their just reward you know Don't, don't start a persecution fest on someone because you feel like they're asking for too much grain or whatever uh, that that may be their biggest reward is that they have extra grain now and they may be cheating themselves out of bigger blessings
1: mm. it's it's a very tricky thing because it becomes a very personal thing very quickly i think the lord is very clear that he's the judge and that above these things we need to forgive each other and if we do not forgive even individuals who are truly wrong it's kind of like i was telling you the other day i think the greater sin is like when we place ourselves in front of christ and mm-hmm. we place ourselves in, as the judge and we 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 are not that now having said all that i can see how this could be a very difficult lot to live
0: oh gosh yeah
1: and even today i mean we we just deal with our taxes and minimal things we Society, and it's still very difficult when you see what the perception of waste or actual waste you know or incompetence or you know uh these things and the saints had they're human just like us i i I have a feeling like I had a friend of mine who told me that it's kind of a weird thing, but it was kind of the Lord has we We like basically, we can't frustrate his designs,
0: yeah
1: was Joseph Smith the only one that could have said that prayer? Could he have chosen not to? I think he could have chosen not to yeah would, would there have been another probably would have taken ten years, a hundred years, who knows, right, <laughs> or was Joseph Smith do we find out later on that he was the second one? there was <laughs> another one before you know it's kind of the example of this chapter you know, with the counselor. Yeah. Someone was called, and we hear about this, we hear about it from Jonah, it kind of goes one direction, and we see it happen with Alma the Younger in the other direction. He's out there creating all sorts of problems, and the Lord plucks him out and says, I'm going to give you a chance to, to right your ship. The other thing that was kind of interesting was verse 22. I thought a lot about that one. is Verily I say unto you, this is wisdom, make unto yourselves friend with the mammon of unrighteousness, and they will not destroy you. And then the cross-reference to that is to Luke chapter 16, verse 9, where it says, And I say unto you, make to yourselves friendship, friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. So that was really confusing. I didn't <laughs> understand it. But here's where I landed with it. It reminded me that the Lord is saying, well, this is, again, my opinion, <laughs> They say, don't don't fight fire with fire. Let the Lord fight your battles. It's better for you to seek peace and even be friends with your enemies. And you will see that they won't destroy you. They'll destroy themselves.
0: I looked up in, in Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 version, what mammon meant for them back then. And it meant riches and wealth. Which kind of adds to what you were saying. um I say to you, this is wisdom. Make yourself friends with the riches and wealth of unrighteousness, and they will not destroy you. So he's also talking in terms of like temporal wealth. That makes sense. You know, like find a way to work in this system. Find a way to manage that wealth and those riches wisely, and it will not destroy you. If you try and and, and uh, just accumulate wealth and then make that your entire focus, just having the most and having the biggest and whatever, and you're not managing it wisely, it can lead to your destruction. Whereas it's saying, you know, if Zion is going to take off and if it's going to actually become anything, you need to learn how to manage this stuff efficiently and wisely.
1: That makes sense. That kind of goes hand in hand with Ether chapter 12, you know, make weak things strong. Yeah. Or don't hide your light under a bushel or, you know, other type of scriptures that kind of talk more about what what you don't think you can handle, figure out how to handle it <laughs> and the Lord will help you. And you look at the saints at this time, they, money is an issue. Yeah. It has plagued the church since the beginning. It's plagued Joseph Smith's family their entire life, even before he was called to be a prophet. It's plagued a lot of these saints and then, then when they start doing a little bit good, they get this influx of immigrants that becomes a kind of a burden on, on the system, you know? And, and a lot of these rules and laws are, are in, in council is given to help those immigrants. Give them land, give them space, let them start working. And then you'll see they become so industrious that they built a beautiful city out of a swamp,
0: you know? But
1: then you fast forward to now and you look at the church the church now has learned to do everything outside of debt. Right. To have absolutely no debt, be self insured, to be so sound financially that this richness will not destroy you.
0: There were lots of well meaning people, lots of religious movements back then who were brought down and destroyed by greed, by jealousy over wealth and power. And he's saying, you know. I mean, you think about it, living this this law of consecration requires tremendous leadership and tremendous trust in that leadership to for everyone to buy into the idea that these people are not trying to take advantage of us, that we're all contributing what we have and that we're all all of our needs are being met like and not getting jealous and not having envy and not questioning every single move that everyone makes. That takes a lot of trust and guess who's at the head of that it's not joseph smith it's the lord and that's the difference that's the difference is that he's saying look if you do this stuff and if you learn how to manage this wisely if you follow my instructions and if you keep your eye single to the glory of god this will work this won't fall apart in in the sense that you know it will destroy this organization following this they do have some issues bigger issues financially um, there's some debts and stuff that arise that they can no longer pay because they're chased out of certain areas of Ohio and they lose some of their main sources of income and they took out some debts in in the name of those sources of income that they can't pay back in that way and so I think what you're seeing is the Lord saying uh, preemptively you need to f- figure this stuff out because the road's about to get rough you know and even going forward as people start moving from their countries to the United States. And then as we start moving West, things are going to get a lot more complicated. And if you don't get this stuff sorted out now. It's going to be very difficult to keep Zion as a principle in action. And so you look at that in our time. What does that mean for us? Well, it means number one, look at your neighbors as your equals. Treat other people with respect and dignity. It means try to look after what their needs are. Be careful and be wise to one another. It also means to keep your house in order. Keep your finances in order. Don't make it all about just accumulating more and more and more, but learn how to manage it wisely so that it doesn't lead to your destruction. Because I I can also point out situations where uh, friends or family have had financial issues and it's led to marital strife, family breakdowns, and all because of money. And so learn how to manage it wisely. Learn how to make it not the focus, but also in control and it won't destroy you that won't be the reason you fall section 83 this one's kind of interesting because it's specifically about women and children and obviously we're talking 1830s children especially didn't have any say in anything but women also were considered secondary in many ways in society to men especially in legal terms and so when a man would die oftentimes an eldest son would inherit things before the wife would things like that would happen. And so he's kind of talking about this. Women have claim on their husbands for their maintenance until their husbands are taken, and if they are not found transgressors, they shall have fellowship in the church. He's saying these women have just as much say in, in church involvement as their husbands do, which is an unusual thing, I think, for the 1830s.
1: <laughs> I also think, I think the word fellowship in the church sometimes can be hard to understand what it means because it's a very much it's a very religious unique term yeah so that i, I don't think you know we've heard in other scriptures if, if somebody don't shoo people away from your sacrament meetings don't kick them out let them listen even if they sin maybe they'll change their ways right and this kind of almost sounds like they're saying well if they're found without transgression then they can continue to have fellowship with church And I think at first, the first time I read it, I was like, wait a second. But then after I read it and thought about it, I think what it's trying to say is uh, the fellowship in the church is on the back of this taking care of them, helping them. This revelation on the United Order and United Firm and all these things where people were supposed to help one another much more than... When we look at fellowship in the church in our day, that term, I don't think, means it's not as heavy as this term, I think, in that time would have
0: meant. Uh, it didn't just mean, oh, you can still invite her to Relief Society activities, you know. It meant, no, you still need to take that family into account when you're providing for all the members of Zion. And that, that's big. That's huge. Because it could mean so-and-so, brother so-and-so died and he's no longer around, so they're kind of on their own but the lord's saying no they're not and even children are not on their own
1: it's interesting because also at that time when missionaries travel or even people travel to visit each other you often stayed the night at their house (laughs) because traveling took half the day or more it wasn't like a five minute drive on i-15 right it was it was a substantial amount of travel so part of being a good host was having you know uh, food for them, even sometimes, spare clothing or other things. Being able to help them fix their wagon, you know, it it, it was a lot more in involved than having a guest nowadays is. You know, yeah. uh, we we are much more, I think, separated from this aspect of fellowship and community than those individuals in those days were. It was to not belong, to be cast out of a community, was a huge undertaking. I mean, was very detrimental to anyone, even just in a normal town. But you look at us, and we, we, with all of our technology and modern conveniences, we take pride into this mindset of, oh, I'm an introvert. Oh, I don't like to see people. And trust me, I think I'm kind of like that. <laughs> but I don't think we understand how much of a society you needed to be involved in order to prosper and in order to be safe and in order to have any kind of uh, reputation like reputation was is is way more meaningful I think back then than it was in in our day today because today you just delete your Facebook and create another (laughs) one, and and you go out there and interact with whomever in these days the people you knew in your immediate area was kind of in a way and almost an extended family. I don't know. I was just thinking about that when when it's talking about these things where it's saying the storehouse, which in previous chapters, we've learned that the storehouse is managed by the bishops and the church is where people donate in tithing or tithing offerings or whatever they can, right, is shall be kept by the consecration of the church and the widows and the orphans shall be provided for and also the poor. I think it's hard for us to see this as so groundbreaking. I think it w- I think it would be way more groundbreaking in their day to yeah. receive this because kind of, we're kind of used to this. We watch the church news report every conference and we see all these good things the church does and we're like, Yay, I contributed somehow and yeah. <laughs> but in this time, it's saying you need to take care of these individuals and your the sphere of responsibility doesn't end when they stop contributing or when they can't contribute anymore. It's not a club. You are to take care of the orphans, the widows, and the poor. And I wonder why that is. Because I think if you don't take care of them, this sounds bad, but, <laughs> but I think you'll gain more expense over the long term. You know, If you ignore these individuals, if you don't take in an orphan and treat them and teach them how to grow up the right way, then they may grow up in a different way where they may create more orphans and widows and poor you know what i mean
0: yeah definitely so yeah well there's i think there's wisdom behind really all three of these sections obviously these revelations are are given to us even today Um, granted we're not expected to contribute to a united firm in the same way we pay our tithing and fast offerings and that's kind of our contribution to a, a greater fund but the principles of caring about your neighbors, caring about one another, thinking about those in need, those should still definitely still apply. And also learning how to manage yourself and manage what your needs are, living within your means, all of that. Those are still very, very real principles today, very applicable today. Let us be
1: awake and not be wary of well-doing for we are laying the
0: foundation of a great work even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come follow me.